Bible with you, please open to the book of Jonah, chapter 3, or you can follow along in the bulletin, the same text is printed there in Jonah 3. Um, welcome again. I mentioned a couple things. The announcements in the back mentioned we have a joint Good Friday service with several of the other Presbyterian churches in town. Uh, that's uh, the 30th, I'm pretty sure, but it's at 6.30 at Catalina Foothills. I don't think the time is mentioned in the announcement, so I'll mention that again next week and write it down correctly. I hope. And then on Easter, we're going to worship with our sending churches, but we're not going to have the afternoon service uh, here. After that, and for the duration, Lord willing, we'll be here every week at four. So, trying to broaden you people with some culture, mentioning important southern icons. We talked about Flannery O'Connor last week, and this week I want to tell you about Ronnie Van Zandt. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of, all stairs. He was the uh, lead singer for uh, Leonard Skinner before he died, remember? And uh, wrote the famous anthem of Southern Autonomous Independent Freedom, just free bird, right? And you remember the, uh, the stirring conclusion, of course, of free bird is this. Lord knows I can't change, right? Lord knows I can't change. Can you? Can you change? Because uh, in an anthem, it sounds pretty good to say, Lord knows I can't change, but it's really a pretty despairing thing to say. right? If you can't change, um, that doesn't make you more free. That makes you less free than a bird. Right? Lord knows I can't change. I, another singer I like riffed on it this way. He said, Lord knows I can't change. Sounds better in the song than it does with hell to pay. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Is, is it possible to change? Um, is it possible for us to be really different than we are now, religiously, morally? Uh, the Bible's word for this kind of change is repentance. The story that we're looking at in Jonah chapter 3 is the repentance of this city, Nineveh, which is uh, the last group of people in the world that would ever expect themselves to be repenting. Uh, turning away from their uh, culture that was very violent and cruel, uh, very proud. They were uh, sort of an unassailable empire, a great city in that empire. And uh, the idea that they were going to turn their lives over to the God of Israel as his worshipers, humbly, is the last thing in the world they would have expected. But it's what happens. They do. They turn away from their violence and rebellion, and they turn to God for his mercy and hope of change. That's what repentance is. So we're going to think about that together tonight. Let me pray for us first, and we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask that you would come and help us, that you would uh, open our lives to you as we listen to your word, and that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to uh, penetrate through our defenses uh, the things that would cause us from really being open to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me, beginning at verse 1 of Jonah 3. Well, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you like his sermon? Yeah. (laughs) Forty days, and you're going to be destroyed. Amen. (laughs) That was his sermon. Um, God told him, go call out against them. That's kind of a awkward thing for us to think that's what God would send somebody to say to us or to anybody to go call out against them and tell them that they're about to be destroyed Um, that seems kind of like the judgy part of the Christian faith that you don't want to emphasize so much you want want the nice friendly parts to be out front and on display Um, sounds very Old Testament-y right, you know, if you're going to talk about Old Testament prophets, you need to have at least one grumpy sermon in the book and uh but he's, uh, he's not talking about something that's unique to the Old Testament. I mean, when Jesus came and preached, we read in our gospel reading, when they wanted to summarize everything that he came and preached, they said he came and preached what? Repent, for the kingdom's at hand. That was a summary of what everyone should do in response to his being there, was that they should repent. And so, uh, I don't know, that's hard to get through. We, American mindset about religion is more like setting up an iTunes playlist. Um, I've got some songs I like, some songs I don't like, an order I like, songs I don't like, and I'll go on my playlist, right? I, I get to pick and choose. I get to select. And kind of think the same way religiously. I like these things that Jesus said. I like this part of the Bible's truth. Uh, there's some things I don't like as much. I'm going to leave them off, but I'm going to pick and choose. And what you find when you come to the Scripture is that if you're going to meet and be in any kind of relationship with the true God, um, He's the one who does the selecting, not you. There are these things about your life that I'm pleased about. These are things about your life that I'm not pleased about. These are things that require pretty deep change from the inside out uh, for you to belong to me and know me. Um, he's the one who gets to decide and say. And if you've got a religion that doesn't work that way, then you probably made it up. You know, if God never contradicts you, if God never disagrees with you about ethics, then you probably made up your God, and you just assumed that he was a big version of you. Uh, But when you run into the true God, he contradicts you regularly. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll find that his sentiments and your sentiments don't line up all the time. And he's always pushing on us, creating change in us, and uh, uncomfortable change at times. So any of us that meet the true God are called to repent. To turn away from, not just uh, not just turn away from rule breaking, but whole complexes of attitudes that make us self-willed and unwilling to bend to God. The 
demand that we just have our own way in our lives. I turn away from that, but then turn towards him for his mercy, for the hope of real change happening in our lives. That he can actually change people like us, even who have ruts that have been dug deeply through long lives. He can really change us through his mercy. So that's what we're going to talk about this, uh, this afternoon with repentance. Um, kind of two simple heads. One is everybody needs to repent, and two, anybody can repent. So first, uh, the everybody needs to repent. Um, one thing you, you come to see pretty quickly with God is that he cares very much about justice. He cares very much about people loving him and treating each other in a loving way. And um, he requires, when people come into relationship with him, that they turn away from these destructive patterns of life where we uh, refuse to bow to him and where we refuse to treat other people the way he calls us to treat them. Uh, He just starts pushing on you right away about that. Even if you're not even a Christian yet, you'll find that you're starting to feel... uh, like uh, moral goads and things in your life where you're thinking, I just don't think this syncs up with who Jesus is and what he wants from me. Um, You've got a good example and a bad example of this in the chapter. The bad example is the religious guy. And Jonah's example tells us even religious people need to repent. Everybody does, not not just irreligious people, but religious people like Jonah. He was a professional prophet. And he needed to repent. He didn't do it very well. Um... His, I have to say, his heart wasn't broken over his rebellion against God. His heart was a little sore, but it wasn't broken. Right? Uh, his big problem was this pervasive, self-righteous moralism that made him think the Ninevites were lesser people, if they're people at all, and he hated them, and he couldn't stand the thought of them having mercy. Uh, but because he thought he had standing with God because of his goodness, and so he became you know, censorious and judgmental and condescending and all those things that so often characterize religious people today. But he didn't really repent. He got caught. You know, the storm came when he was running away from God. He got thrown over into the ocean. He got swallowed by the fish. Um, He got scolded in the fish. And he kind of, uh, he came to some level of compliance while he was in the fish. You got his prayer in the last chapter. If you read that, he's acknowledging God um, Sort of like a kid who is coerced to do what he's supposed to do. Okay, I'll, all right, I'll do what you said, you know. It's kind of like the kid that was uh, being made to sit down by his mother and he wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. Finally, she just made him sit down and he said, I'm sitting down, but on the inside, I'm still standing up, you know. And Jonah's still standing up on the inside. Uh, you can, We'll see in the next chapter. Or it's like people who... You know, um, they're not sorry for what they did to you. They're just sorry that they got caught. Or they're just sorry that they've got this problem now that they have to deal with because you found out what they did or because they mistreated you. And I don't know if you have anybody, Julie, don't answer this. Do you ever have anybody in your life that says, I'm sorry, okay? (laughs) Um, The angry apology. That's not repentance. That's a sore heart. That's not a broken heart. And, uh, you can kind of tell that his repentance isn't very thoroughgoing because in his sermon, he tells them way less than he knows about the mercy of God. Right? He says, you need to turn or you're going to be overthrown in 40 days. He doesn't say, but I happen to know that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and listens to people who repent. He doesn't even say that. 
because he doesn't care. So he's a bad example. He's sorry, but he's not really sorry. Uh, that's not real repentance. But the Ninevites, of all people, model uh, real repentance. And they're the uh, irreligious people, or at least they're not uh, part of the God of Israel's religion. And they get it, though. And I th- sometimes I think it's easier for people who are coming in from outside the church to realize this. Because, you know, if I get up close to Jesus, uh, it's going to be uh, very threatening to me. Uh, a lot of my prerogatives in life are going to get challenged if I start praying, if I start reading the Bible, if I start going to church. Um, I know that I'm setting myself up for trouble here. And the Ninevites surely knew that right? because they knew their whole culture is based on violence. And it sounds like from the greatest to the least, it wasn't just the military. It was everybody. It was families and playgrounds and commerce and everything was based on violence. And they were good at it, and they were pretty unchallenged militarily. They were a great nation. They were proud of themselves. They were winners. And here this odd bird from Israel, a little podunk country that they've easily... Uh, dealt with when they needed to comes and says basically gives them siege language like a general coming in in 40 days the city will be overthrown like okay dude um sure it'll be overthrown by you and what army and um we supposed to take you seriously in any way and yet they do they do take them seriously they believe the word of god it says you know just as drastically as it could And they they repented in these ways that you can kind of see by example that are good examples of repentance. They didn't didn't criticize the messenger. They didn't say, why should we listen to you because you're a punk from Israel. Or you were too harsh when you criticized us and when you said we needed to repent. Or you're very judgmental. And who are you to tell us that we need to repent anyway? Because you you could use some repentance yourself, which of course he could. But they didn't criticize the messenger. They didn't start to bargain with God. Uh, try to mitigate what they'd done, try to explain themselves. Yes, we did those things, but you've got to understand, you know, and, you know, in war there are drastic circumstances and sometimes you have to be more violent than you would prefer to be. And they didn't start explaining and bargaining and trying to justify themselves. They didn't compare themselves to other people. And why are you picking on our nation? There are a lot of cruel nations around, you know. We're not the only ones. I don't know why you're shining the light on us. They didn't do that. But they named their sins. King said... Uh, you've got uh, our evil ways and our violence have to be put aside. Named it. Not just, and he got it too. It wasn't just rule breaking. It was sort of like this whole culture of violence, this whole systemic idea of their culpability before God that he clued into and named. And then they did acts of contrition, which is not the same as penance. They're not trying to fix themselves or make up for their sins, but they're contrite, and so they, they take off like royal robes and um, armor, military gear, all the things that are their identity and their pride and the thing that makes them somebody in the world. They, take, they put those things aside, and they fast, and they put ashes on themselves or sit among ashes, which is kind of like a symbol of death. Christians do it on Ash Wednesday in a lot of places. You know, they, you, know you are dust, and to dust you shall return put ashes on ourselves to repent because we say we deserve to die uh, we're on a trajectory for death and we're looking for mercy from God and Ninevites do this and uh, then they pray and they pray for mercy not knowing half what we know 
about God and His mercy, not having any idea about Jesus yet, uh, they still say, maybe, maybe God will be merciful, and they pray. That's real repenting. That's what you do. You, you name your sin, you don't mitigate it, you don't justify yourself, and you throw yourself on God's mercy. Right? Turn away from your sin. That's not everything about repentance, though. That's the first part. Turn away from your rebellion. second part is you turn towards God, uh, looking for mercy and hope of change. Um, my son illustrated this to me uh, several years ago. Um, we taught him about the gospel his whole life, of course, and you know he wasn't hostile to it or anything, but it never felt like the penny dropped in his life. You know, it's like he he wasn't rebellious or resistant. It just not a lot of reality to what was going on in his life with God. And um, we were watching some Guy Ritchie movie one night. I thought it was a lame movie. And uh, afterwards, he went for a walk and uh, came back about an hour later and came in my office and he said, he said, Dad, I think everything I've ever done in my life uh, has been a result of pride. And uh, I thought, what? did I watch that same movie? <laughs> I didn't see it. But he was, uh, um, he was convicted. He had his heart exposed to him that he needed to turn away from his rebellion, his pride that was driving everything that he did. But he wasn't there yet with repentance. Right? He, was, he was ready, wanting, if he could, somehow to turn away from this whole uh, motivation of pride. But he went to see a friend of ours in Alabama, a Christian elder, who talked to him. And the guy kept saying to him, he said all weekend, he said, he said I know that you're acknowledging your pride, but if you don't throw yourself on Jesus' care, uh, then it won't do you any good to recognize your pride. You'll just try to fix yourself. Uh, you need Jesus. You don't need just to know about your pride. You need Jesus. And he kept talking about to him that way. And Zach came home that weekend on Sunday night. And he came into the kitchen and he said, Dad, I think I became a Christian this weekend. Yeah, because not only was he turning away from his sin, but he saw that Jesus was going to be merciful to him and could actually begin to change him. And that's the second part of what I want us to look at for this, is that anybody can repent um, and be changed. They prayed in verse 9, um, Who knows? God may turn and relent, turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. Uh, they just hoped maybe that He was merciful. But can you imagine if Jonah went back to Jerusalem and told the story, Hey, I went to Nineveh. Yeah, Nineveh. And I preached a really great sermon. <laughs> and the whole town uh, put on sackcloth and ashes and repented. Turned to Jesus. Turn to the God of Israel. No way. Right? Nobody would believe him. Like they'd be saying, "Yeah, I don't know. The fish is iffy to me, but none of a repenting. No way. Like that's a bigger miracle than the fish thing you just told us that we're supposed to believe. There's no way. No way people could accept this. Uh, these are just a bunch of surprised converts who would surprise all the other converts by converting. You know, people who never would have thought they could." Be changed, who never would have imagined themselves to be worshiping the God of Israel, um, they surprise as anybody. I think a couple of stories of people that were surprised converts. I'm going to read a little bit of this, but any of you ever listen to Michelle Shocked sing? Yeah, that's what I figured if you didn't know Ronnie Van Zandt. Um, but she's funny, hard to categorize, kind of an alt, alternative folk singer, punk, bluegrass 
I don't know. She uh, she plays a guitar. She sings. It's edgy, um, but really thoughtful. And um, but she became a Christian uh, to her great surprise about 15 years ago. And she was doing a New York Magazine interview about it. And she said, it's just a garden variety, born-again, evangelical Christianity. But it does have the twist of my being a radical skateboard punk rock activist. Um, I wasn't looking for peace, though, when I was going to that church. She went to a church in Los Angeles that had a great gospel choir. She said, I wasn't looking for peace. I was looking for gospel music. Little realizing that my heart was having a dialogue with God even at that point. Saying, help me, find me, I'm lost, I'm lonely. So in a way, I was the last one to know. Um, Otherwise, why would my feet make that walk down to the altar unless my heart was already there? Peace finds you. That was my experience. And uh, she said, I like the poetic twist. You look for peace, but peace finds you. And she had an album after that. had a great song on it called Ain't That Amazing. It didn't say much more than Ain't That Amazing, but it was the the uh, song of a surprise convert who was being received and loved and changed by Jesus. And uh, that's the way she summed it up. She says, uh, I went for the singing and I stayed for the song. And uh, I like that story. And then another guy, a guy from Hollywood, uh, Joe Esterhaus, who's a screenwriter. He, he wrote back in the 90s several pretty famous and successful movies. He wrote Jagged Edge and Flashdance and Basic Instinct and Showgirls and some others. He wrote some books as well about life in Hollywood. Devil's Guide to Hollywood was probably the most famous one. Um, and he was a pretty notorious guy for his uh, uh, drug and alcohol abuse and as, as a skirt chaser. And he got throat cancer. And in the process of his uh, suffering from that and recovering from that, he said he found himself one day sitting on a curb crying out to God through his trach and saying, uh, God, please help me. And, you know, not knowing much more than that to say, uh, he became a Christian and uh, surprised him as much as anybody. He wrote a memoir about it called Crossbearer that you could read if you wanted to. He said, but his friends couldn't believe that it was true. And he said most of his friends referred to this as his Dylan phase. Like, you know, he's yeah, he's... He's on a religious, you know, binge, but he'll come back. Things, but he was—he was genuinely changed uh, because he ran into the mercy of God. He genuinely learned what repentance was, and became a Christian, and surprised him as much as anybody. So, look, the example of Nineveh says nobody's God forsaken, no place is God forsaken. In the grace of Jesus Christ, um, anybody can repent. You're not too far gone. You haven't crossed some line. You haven't committed some act. You haven't dug some rut so deeply into your life that you can't change. I mean, if, Ninevi- if Ninevites can change, you can change. If there's hope for Jonah, you can change. And um, think, maybe a harder thing for Christians to believe than non-Christians to believe, that um, you think, gosh, if I haven't changed very much by now, as long as I've been a Christian, how likely is it that I'm going to change? And... That's not at all the message of hope we have in the Bible, which says, you know, Jesus has started a good work in you that he's determined to finish. He's going to fit you to live in his kingdom where things are right side up, where people don't need to repent anymore. Um, But it's going to be a violent process. It's going to be a long process. But he certainly can change you and is willing to do it. Uh, There's hope for you in that. Uh, To believe differently is to believe a nefarious lie. 
to say that Jesus can't change people like me or that he's, he's finally put out with me, that I've crossed lines of stretching his patience that you just can't come back from. And as much sense as that feels like it makes, it's not true. No one is beyond the pale. No one's gone too far. So, um, man, and Nineveh repented when all they heard was some weird guy saying, you're going to be destroyed. We know so much more than they do. We know Jesus Christ, who we know his justice, that he's not at all willing for people to live in uh, violence and unlove towards each other and God. Uh, but we know his mercy as well, that he's willing to go and uh, be overthrown himself by the justice of God so that we wouldn't be crushed by God's judgment, to show us mercy and to bring us into his family. And knowing as much as we know, we have even more reason to have hope that Jesus could change somebody like you, somebody like me. He's willing to do it. So the uh, 40-day warning is odd. It doesn't look like it took them 40 days to repent, but it's kind of like a grace period, you know, 40 days. It'll give you 40 days to think about it and decide. And really, that 40 days is like your life. You know, it, you're in a grace period with God. Um, what does the uh, knowledge of his holiness do for you? Where does it leave you? You, know, you may be as surprised as the king of Nineveh was that you find yourself being drawn towards Jesus and interested in the Bible and praying and having Christian friends. Um, and I just say, um, just go with it. If he's after you, he's going to get you. Uh, talk to your friend who brought you. Go ahead and get the things that you're thinking about out in the open with them or come talk to me if you would feel comfortable doing that. But um, if you're being lured in like the king of Nineveh was, go with it. Um, it's a beautiful gift that God's given you if you find yourself interested in him. Um, you may be as self-righteous as Jonah uh, and only have kind of a sore heart and really need a broken one. And uh, I don't look forward to what that'll mean for you. But um, I know Jonah, with his partial, moralistic, self-satisfied sorrow but not repentance, was a miserable man. And the uh, next chapter shows pretty deeply how miserable he was. And I'd so much rather you have a broken heart that needs God's mercy and finds it than for you to be miserable like Jonah. So uh, maybe, maybe you even pray and ask if God would deepen your repentance. Um, I wouldn't pray that often or a lot, <laughs> just, but maybe once, uh, that God would make more real to you your repentance. Um, Maybe you need hope as part of this new mission church that's hoping to see your friends and family coming into the faith in Midtown. Uh, maybe you need hope that God could use somebody like you. And I would just say take Jonah here as your paradigm of hope. Um, if his sermon and his attitude could be used by God, uh, you can be used by God too. And uh, so believing that Jesus' good news can change absolutely anybody should make you more confident as you think about who you might invite and the conversations you might strike up with your friends in town. So, the repentance of Nineveh. If there's hope for them, there's hope for Tucson. If there's hope for Jonah, there's hope for me. If there's hope for me, there's hope for you. Now let's pray.